When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have another preseason edition of The Deciding Point, where we'll be breaking down our top 10 Division I men's and women's college tennis teams heading into the 2024 dual match season. Of course, as always, I'll remind all of you listeners at the top, if you have missed any of our previews to date, all you got to do is scroll down in your Great Shot podcast feed. If for some reason you want more insight into our deliberations, into putting together this top 10, just keep scrolling until you see our college tennis preview preview episode on those podcasts. Myself, John Parsons, Chris Halioris offered that insight into how we came up with our top 10 lists here this season. That said, again, the agenda for today's show is to break down another one of our top 10 Division I men's team as we will do every Tuesday and Thursday on this podcast until we get to our preseason number one. And joining me tonight to talk about our tied for eighth USC Trojans, dare I say, a much anticipated podcast in our preview series, is the man who will join me for each and every one of our Division I men's preview podcast. A man you all know best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions never far from from the listed UTR, the lean, mean Michigan Wolverine. It's the professor, Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back. We're now about a week removed from you aptly dodging any flight issues, so I'm going to remove that from your intro today. I still feel honored to have you, I guess is the word, as our guest. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm I'm especially, I mean, you don't even know. I'm looking forward to this more than you even know, Gruskin, because I have a surprise for you. Oh no, that's always where things get dangerous. And look, and again, just for yeah, listeners, truth be told, Gruskin has absolutely no idea what's coming his way here. Uh, so. Are we about to have a surprise visitor pop on the Zoom? Just let me know for editing purposes. So it's, it's, it's not going to pop on the Zoom, Gruskin. <laughs> okay. That's all I had to be concerned about. Look, when you have a surprise for me, it means we've got a great show for all of you listeners today. And as always, again, we're going to be breaking down another team today. It's number eight, USC. How do we go about these breakdowns? The quick overview, we recap 2023. We talk about the returners, the new additions, talk about the fall, the rankings, project the lineup, get into the schedule, and so much more. I imagine by now many of you college tennis fans already know the deal. So as promised, I'm going to go through that outline even more quickly as we continue to progress. That said, obviously, the big news is a tangent related to USC 
from this past week as Stefan Dostanich announces he will be coming back for his final year of eligibility competing for the Trojans this spring. We'll get into that more as we discuss their returning roster. But Chris, let's start with the historical context, as always, of these USC Trojans and how 2023 fits into the broader narrative of what this program has accomplished. Of course, we're not that far removed from the USC Trojans winning five titles in six years. And for what it's worth, we had a man instrumental to the final two, Yannick Hanfman, joined me on the Cracked Interviews podcast last week to discuss his breakout 2023 ATP season. He cracks the top 50 of the singles rankings for the first time in his career. Trojans haven't won a national championship at NCAA since then. And I mean, look, They've had gaps like that, I suppose, in program history. Their largest gap winning in 1976 all the way until 1991 is when that next title came. But, you know, again, that's the longest streak. This program not winning since 2014. I believe this is the second longest streak in program history since they won their first national championship back in 1946. So just worth putting that little disclaimer at the start of this conversation, because when you talk USC men's tennis, you talk about the epitome of success. You talk about a blue blood of blue bloods we have in the men's college tennis ranks. And that's why looking back at last season, I don't know how you have anything but a bit of a sour taste in your mouth if you're a USC men's tennis fan. And I mean that not in the sense that last season was a disappointment. It just feels like last year was incomplete, Chris. When you look at what the Trojans did, what they were able to accomplish, ultimately USC 21-8 and overall on the year. They do capture another Pac-12 tournament title, bouncing back from 4-3 regular season losses at Arizona and at Cal to knock off Oregon, Stanford, and Utah on their way to that Pac-12 championship. The Trojans' comfortable wins in rounds one and two of the NCAA tournament before they were ultimately knocked off 4-3 in one of our best round of 16 matches. A dramatic thriller comes down to a sudden death third set uh, between Styler. Dostanich ultimately goes the way of Michigan Styler, thus the Trojans knocked out in the round of 16 for what it's worth. They go one and two at the indoors, a win over UNC in round number one, tight losses to Kentucky, Georgia, the rest of the way. Here's the big thing, though, of course, when you look at the USC Trojans. They played three months without one of their two best players from last year's roster. Freshman learner Tien not gaining eligibility until midway through conference play. He plays that Oregon match on April 14th. He was only eligible for what it's worth for nine matches for the Trojans last season, Chris. And that's why when you look at that 21-8 and eight roster uh, record, when you look at the talent USC possessed on the roster last year— Overperformance, underperformance, or just right just doesn't feel like the right categorization for this USC team last year. It really feels like incomplete is the most accurate assessment of their 2023 season. I mean, first off, over under on who plays more matches, Leonard Tien last year or Adrian Boyton this year? <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know good. who gets. Uh, I'm not sure about the, the that's eligibility. That's uh, not the surprise, is it? Because that's pretty no, good out no, of no, early. No. no, but I, you know, I don't know about the incomplete. I think, um, yeah, it's, it is a little different because I think coming in without, without learner, uh, I'd say, yeah, right, about right. And look, we had them to be fair. We had them preseason number 10. 
They finished number 10. I'm inclined to say that, yeah, it was about right. But to your point, when we get to April and all of a sudden the big rush comes because, oh, Lerner's eligible now and, you know, he's not losing matches at all. Yeah, you kind of feel like you're you're hoping for a little more. And, yeah, it was to your – I mean, who knows what could have been. Like you said, it came down to a third set between Styler and, and Steph. And, you know, that match there could have gone either way. And we were, you know, points from – who knows what happens if USC is at the final site instead of Michigan. So, yeah, it's I mean, it's not a. am sure for those guys, it wasn't a great feeling. They obviously wanted more. Uh, but in the bigger picture of things, I think it was about right. He was eligible for 10 matches last season. In those 10 matches, USC goes nine and one. And given what the losses looked like prior to him getting eligible, 4-3 at Arizona, 4-3 at Cal, the match they probably want back more than anything, the 4-3 Kentucky match at the indoors, yes, that's still inside, which, you know, some will think, well, Trojans are never going to be comfortable indoors. This is a team that won the National Indoor Championship not that long ago in 2020 to dispel that myth. Here's the biggest reason and the argument for incomplete, Chris. Not only were they 9-1 with Lerner Tien with that one loss being 4-3 on the road at Michigan in the round of 16, you just have to ask yourself if he's eligible even post-national indoors onwards. This team is probably a top eight seed, are they not? I mean, the margins between them, Michigan, I'm blanking on who was number eight, but whomever, South Carolina and Tennessee, excuse me, the margins between all of those teams at the end were so thin. That's why if you're a Trojan fan, you have a sour taste in your mouth because you didn't get to see the best version of your team play against the best of the best more than once. And in that one showing, they 4-3'd at Michigan. Uh, You know, again, much like they did last year at Columbus with a thrilling match. They pushed a team on the road about as far as can be pushed. That's why it's incomplete to me, because boy, would I have loved to see this team in its full form compete against the best of the best last year. And it's just one of the many asterisks we come out of last season with is that we didn't get to see that. Yeah. And I think to to your point, the I mean, the whole the whole learner TN asterisk is it was two sided, right? I mean. I remember the second he got eligible, all we could say was, oh, boy, do I feel sorry for whoever draws them in that eight, six, you know, in the round of the round of 16. And then, of course, it had to be, you know, the the Michigan Wolverines a, a, a team, uh, you know, very close to the show. But, uh, yeah, you know, so on one side, you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they drew Michigan. On the other side, you're thinking, boy, yes, it's rough for for Michigan at the same time, if to your point, if USC had had him for even another month, you know, just just one month earlier or two weeks. Yeah. The the matches that they get to play with him and win probably to your point, make a difference. And and they're not going to Michigan. They're going somewhere else that maybe they do win and they are at the final site and or they're hosting to your point. I Yeah, it was I mean. Just just an odd thing all the way around. And yes, we all wanted to see Lerner Tien play. There's no doubt about it. We just got to figure out a way that it doesn't take until April 14th to figure out how to make that happen. I mean, that's just that's ridiculous. Get it done or don't. But don't wait. Don't wait till the season's, you know, three weeks from finishing and then make him eligible. 1,000%, and not to live in the past, but again, the last argument for why this is a relevant data point of conversation. 
Mach was seven and one at three. Wojtek was seven and one at four and won his last seven decisions last year. Ludwig, ten and zero at six, won his last six decisions. Again, Lerner was three and zero at two. This was a team that had, and you know, even through all that, Destanich goes fourteen and ten at one last season. Obviously, some serious regression from a twenty twenty two that saw him lose just one match at the top spot. They didn't need him. Like, they were starting to find real depth in singles. And again, so few reps together in doubles, you felt like that point was starting to come along a little bit as well. We just didn't, we, we saw them play 10 matches last year. It was a shame. Again, one of many shames. That, I'll say it again because I haven't said it in a couple of weeks, the weather in Orlando, just devastating for what should have been the greatest NCAA quarterfinals and onwards of all time. You play that NCAAs in 70-degree heat, we're getting, what, four plus two plus one, seven, four, three matches. That would be my one of my takeaways from watching all these teams compete throughout the course of the year. Anyways, in that context... Round of 16 does feel about right. I mean, again, you look at what they were able to, who they lost to last year. Kentucky, final eight team. Georgia, final eight team. TCU, final eight team. Texas, final eight team. Michigan, final eight team. The other losses, Arizona, Cal, and they lost to Michigan twice. Keep that in mind. So again, Arizona and Cal, both road matches that they lost 4-3. Trojans didn't take a bad loss last year, period. So it just feels like about right is the accurate assessment looking back at last year, last word goes to you. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's about right. I do think that, uh, you know, I've been pretty high on these guys for, for several years now. Uh, you know, some, somebody else has recognized that I've been high and we discussed at length, I think in our first pod of, of the year, when we preview previewed our number 10 team, that uh, this was one of the teams that we had the most disparity on in ranking between all of our voters. I was the high, some aforementioned voter in the poll who's staring at me in a Zoom screen right now was low. <laughs> Somebody might have had a message for you, Gruskin. Yeah, well. That, that is the surprise. Yeah, so, that's, that's what I like to hear. So so you're going to let me take a two minute and 20 second tangent here. Oh, no. And all of us get to listen to a message that actually starts out pointed at all of us, but does, in fact, get to hitting at Gruskin where it ought to be. Here we go. I'm just sitting out here on the West Coast, beautiful 75 degree weather today. And <laughs> we're listening to the podcast. That you guys do and i'm coming across that you have a three-way tie for eight somehow and i'm just curious how do you have a three-way tie for eight <laughs> to me that sounds like a cop-out <laughs> when it comes down to it because you just don't want to put someone at 10 someone at nine someone at eight someone at seven however you do it but i just don't get how you don't just make a separation here it just seems like a lack of a consistency on your part and will to uh, maybe hurt other coaches' feelings that you maybe have some alliances with out there uh, in college tennis. And guess what? We're all big boys. We can take it. We know that, you know, you care about college tennis. But to give us a three-way tie for eight is doing an injustice. And, you know, matter of fact, the fact that I think you have the Trojans lower than even – your boy Jay and Chris do, and they have us up higher. I think they see that our product over the years has, you know, proven evident that we've been very consistent. 
You know, I mean, what do we got to do? Win the Pac-12 tournament five years in a row before you release us? <laughs> four is not enough for you? I don't know. I mean, we got Steph. We got Oscar coming back. Trojans are going to be, you know, Trojans are going to be there for you again, man. And we're going to have your Wolverines out here in, uh, in oh, February. Oh, here we go. We'd love to have you. Maybe you can uh, come and watch us play for one since we uh, showed up to your backyard twice and you didn't even come once to see us play. <laughs> Um, but you know, I see how it is. You have no love for the West Coast, and you uh, you put us on the back burner year after year. So, you know, we'll just have to go out and prove ourselves, and uh, you know, use this as motivation for the uh, for the future of this season. But uh, you know, I think your boy Chris and Jay have uh, done their due diligence in putting us in a place that they see the Trojans as uh, going to be a contender. But I think it's time for you to jump on board, man. So you know, stop hiding behind everything. Putting three teams at eight, four teams at seven. I don't know what you're going to do for the rest of it, but I think it's time that uh, you know you make some separation here. <laughs> that's a long time listener first time caller brett macy here on the great shot podcast that was exceptional <laughs> fantastic surprise chris here's what i'll say if you can find a way to get every head coach moving forward to get you a two-minute message on things they're doing on the men's side i will make an effort on the women's side to do the same because that was fantastic <sighs> That was really good. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I, I love the, what do I got to do? Win the Pac-12 five years in a row? Yeah, Four is not good enough? It's funny. Um, <laughs> look. At... <laughs> He's not wrong. Come on. Let's go, it's... Coach Macy. <laughs> Here's what I'll say. John Parsons gave me the exact same criticism. He came and he goes, Alex, I just want you to know if it was me and you doing the men's, tied for 10th or tied for 8th would not have been acceptable. And here's my counter. And, and it's a hypothetical because unlike you, I'm not going to reveal the workings of what things happen behind the scenes. Although it is worth noting, as Chris mentioned, USC ranked as high as six by one of our voters, ranked as low as 13 <laughs> by another Both of, of those our voters. voters. Are present. Apparently, that's not going to be secret anymore. Um, anyways, here's what I'll say. Hypothetically, for any team. Any team across the country, I don't care what the title of that team is, for any team, if you haven't announced with certainty that your number one singles player, who would have been a fifth-year returner as experienced as any player in the country, as successful as any player in the country, as much pedigree coming back, as much of a right to make a claim to being the guy he's had that reign throughout the course of the 2022 season. Again, this is all hypothetical. But if that's your hypothetical player who you're waiting on an announcement, if they're formally coming back or not— That might impact your preseason perceptions of a roster, Chris. And maybe, just maybe, it was really wise of a a podcast host who's on one side of this screen to delay the releasing and the recording of this episode because they were relatively aware that an announcement might be coming. And, you know, again, it's not the first year. It's not the second year. It's not the third year. It's the fourth straight year this person has done this preseason podcast. And maybe four straight years is enough pedigree for that person to know, hey, sometimes delay until mid-December because that's when the real announcements come. I'm just saying, hypothetically, Chris, I mean, that would spin. make a lot that's of sense. Spin. Yeah, <laughs> that's good spin. <laughs> oh. Anyways, that's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, and Brett man. Macy... 
congratulations. You are the team's MVP now. We <laughs> we can skip that discussion a little bit later. That was really that was really really funny. Honestly, by the way, Chris, and this might be a violation to NCAA, and I'm hoping my Spanish was wrong there, so I'm not serious and people are listening to this. You know what would be even funnier than if you get the head coach of the team we're talking about? If you just start getting random head coaches. Like, <laughs> give me two minutes from... I don't I don't want to use an example that you might use. I was going to say Sean Mamie, but I was like, you might actually text him to do this. But How like, about I just get two minutes from Jimmy B? Everybody would love that. Yeah, or we just get two <laughs> minutes from Macy every week. We get the Macy. Yeah. Macy gets a new sponsored segment by our dear friends at Tennis Point. We'll, <laughs> we'll call let it him the- comment on how next week's team yeah. should be behind him. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be really good. If Macy now comes out moving forward, he's like, here's why these seven teams shouldn't be ahead of USC. (laughs) By the way, it'd be really funny if we did that. I would love to do that with every coach and just get them on and say, here's our rankings. Give me your thoughts. I'm going to go through our preseason top 10. What is the thing you like most? What is the most attackable thing about every team? That would be a great segment. And let the record show coaches listening to this. If you would be willing to participate in that, where I will give you an open mic, I will say number 10, or I will say tied for eighth, tied for (laughs) eighth, tied for eighth, but this is an open plea. If you are willing to do that, if it's okay with your SID, your information department, you're not going to get in trouble for doing it, you all have my numbers. Like, you know where to find me. You know where to find Chris. That was really good. We've opened up Pandora's box, Chris, and again... If you're not sure a number one's coming back, that's maybe going to delay the start of a podcast. But guess what? We know now that Stefan Desanich is coming back at the top of this USC Trojans roster. And boy, is that significant given the losses from this roster from last season. You look for the Trojans, they lose number two, Lerner Tien, who has opted to turn pro. And by the way, you can't blame him. A couple of junior slam finals, a couple of futures titles. It's all starting to rock and roll for Lerner, who it's unclear if he's going to get the junior exemption challenger wildcard main draws offered because he didn't play enough junior events. And if you want to hear more about that, Go listen to my mini break last week with Colette Lewis, but he's certainly going to be in the mix for a lot of cool things next season. So you can completely understand his decision. You know, I think it's beyond that where the real losses are going to be felt. Again, they had him for 10 matches last season. If that was all they were losing, I think they could find ways to recover. But to lose that institutional know-how of Bradley Fry, who was a part of that National Indoor Championship team back in 2020, to lose guys like Ryan Colby, Woj Tech Merrick, sophomores who have eaten a lot of innings over the last couple of seasons for Coach Macy and the Trojans. I mean, again, and Bradley Fry obviously graduating as well. That's four single starters off the roster right away. Four guys who contributed on the doubles court as well. Four guys who, again, have been part of the beating heart of the Trojans these last few seasons. And again, we can get to the returners and additions, Chris, but of all the teams we've discussed thus far, this is the team that has the most over uh, has the most turnover from last season from a roster perspective, certainly. Yeah, definitely the most turnover. Well, the most turnover from from a starting lineup perspective, yeah. if you will, right? And 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 very impactful. I'll say, you know, obviously we don't know what the doubles lineups are going to look like, but Bradley Fry, a stalwart, right in that at the top of that USC doubles lineup, so that is going to. Uh, you know, that's going to be, you would assume a little bit hurtful. I'm, you know, they'll probably find, I'm sure they'll find some pairings here, but, uh, but yeah, that's, they're definitely missing 
the most uh, if, of the teams we've talked about so far. And so, yeah, the, it's, you know, the the addition of of Waitman is going to have to be, I mean, it was huge and it's going to, it's going to be very important for them. He's, you know, he's got to pan out. Well, uh, you're looking at a, at a team that's got, you know, if you put him in there with the other three guys, uh, you know, I, that I'll say kind of coming back down to, down to Ludwig, that you know what you've got. And then you can just sort of, with all of the teams that I've mentioned everywhere along the way that when we get down, when, where we are five, six or sort of question marks. And then we're going to have the same thing here. I think we've got three guys battling for five through seven. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's going to be a, a battle. They just need a couple guys to step up, but yeah, definitely, you know, Bradley and, and Woj, I think, you know, obviously learner, but I only, you know, that's only kind of like half a loss since he only played half the season, <laughs> but the other two guys still, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a hit, but, uh, but bringing, bringing Waitman in was a big, big thing for them. 40 of their 90 singles victories last year, 40 of their 90 in dual match play is what they lose off the roster. I mean, that's half. That's uh, just about half. Don't make fun of my math there, Chris. What is it? It's uh Point four 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 four. There you go. Four four four. Yeah, yeah. I still got it. Let the record show. No things. Look, no one was better at the times tables than me back in the day. There's a. Let's just say there's a reason I skipped fifth grade, Chris. We haven't brought that up in a while. Multiplication was a big reason, and division were big reasons why. Anyways. Is that what so, they do in the in, in the breakout sessions at the Maccabi games? It's math math challenges. <laughs> First of all, I was older at that point. Um, no, uh, don't. I mean, you want to talk back to back gold medals? We can go there here in a moment. But no, look, you lose forty of ninety. That's a significant loss. There's no ifs ands yeah. or buts about it. And they're going to need some contributions right away from a Destanich who, as I alluded to a little bit earlier, didn't play in this fall. Was off playing pro events. Was a little bit banged up as well. But you know, again, fourteen and ten. He would be the first one to stay. That's not the standard I hold myself to. And I guess if there is any silver lining for the Trojans, yeah, they lost some serious singles depth. But it's hard to expect anything but uh, anything else but a better record from Destanich in 2024 in his final season on the job. And so you certainly feel pretty good about him at the top spot. The thing is, again, after that, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And certainly Peter Mock, who last year played two and three for the Trojans, finished number 48 in the rankings, had a pretty decent fall. We'll talk about that in a second. He's going to be number two. Like, he just has to be by pedigree, by match experience. You certainly, like, in a bubble, if you're just looking at the top two, you feel really good about that top two. You feel as good about that top two as the aforementioned Columbia, Arizona teams we have already talked about in that discussion. That's the starting block, right? That foundation is you have eight years of experience between Destanich, Mock at the top of your singles lineup this year. It's a good starting block for Coach Macy and the Trojans. Oh, absolutely. You don't feel bad about your top two at all. I mean, I you know, we knew, oh, regardless of you know, the Waitman coming in and the Woj going out. We, we already knew that was, you know, assuming Steph was coming back. That was the top two. And you felt good about that all along. So there's there's no qualms with with what's at the top two. Yeah. And again, Peter Mock, eight and five overall in the fall. Now, certainly let a few matches, it felt like, get away from him. That three set loss uh, 
to Colby maybe at the National in, uh, excuse me, the Longhorn Invitational, the loss to Gavin Young, All-Americans, the three-set loss to Tudorica is the one I was thinking of at fall. Yeah, that Tudorica had an amazing fall. A that, really good fall and a good summer too, but yeah. Mock was up a set in a break. It was 6-1-4-3. I was calling that match. That was one he should yeah. have had to advance. And again, I think that meant a couple of round of 16s for him overall at those two big events. Not bad, by the way, for your guy who you're asking to play number two. And I think he's 39 right now overall in the country. The problem is after, you know, again, after problems may be the wrong word. The question for them after that is three, four, five, six, who goes where? And again, let's start with the returners and their falls before we get into the new additions. The guy you have to look to, right, is Junior Carley, who came over from UCLA after his freshman season, limited contributions his first year. He had a 13 and four fall. And you know, again, looking at those results specifically, I don't know if there was a signature victory. Maybe beating Cleve Harper right away, beating Lagaya. Lagaya, he split with Lagaya. Yeah. Those are probably his two best wins. Yeah. Outside of that, again, some really nice wins over players from Oregon, SDSU, UCLA, etc. No signature victories outside of that first weekend of play. Yes, he's 94 in the rankings, but. You know, again, is he the guy you're leading three right now? Do you look at a Ludwig Ostrade, who, by the way, 10-5 and five overall in the fall and, again, ended last year so solidly at the bottom of the lineup? Decent fall. I'm trying to think. What's the signature victory? He beat Wanu- uh, He beat Watani of UNC. A good win over Demi of UCF as well. Outside of that, I guess he beat Carl Lee. So there's your answer. The SoCal Intercollegiate Finals to end his fall. Is he the guy you look to at three right away? Do you look to the freshman? How are you feeling about those two in particular? Because they're the two we probably saw the most volume from this fall. Yeah, no, well, I, on Carl, absolutely not. I, to your point, yeah, great fall numbers-wise, but the level uh, that he was playing wasn't wasn't quite uh, up was there. Was it three? I, yeah, it wasn't number three. Yeah, I definitely say, you know, Wastrate is, he's, He's three or four. I mean, he the one he's going to be filling one of those spots. Uh, I think I think Carl's going to be in that three way battle for five, six, seven. Mm-hmm. I think that's the fascinating part again for a Lud who last year struggled when asked to play at the top of the lineup early in the season. You look for Lud; he played as high as three, went one and one last year, three and three at four, one and one at five. It was at six where he goes 10-0, and 0. and that makes sense, by the way, because he's a grinder. Guy's going to put a lot of balls in the court. Guy's got to make you work. Uh, again, if you have a bigger weapon, certainly you can coax some errors out of him, maybe get him a little bit impatient. Does he have the weapons, the game, to be successful stepping up to three and four? Certainly by experience, the Trojans might ask him to do that from the start of the season from a returner's standpoint. But yeah, again... If it's a Carl Lee, he did 13 and 4 overall this fall. That is certainly something to hold your head high on. He ends the season, uh, this preseason rankings 94. Again, Mach 39, Wistrade 73. Merrick, for what it's worth, was 42, but again, no longer on the roster. Destanich unranked. He's certainly one of the 10, 15 best players we have in the country this season. After that, Again, Rubel, 3-2, and two, the transfer of Ala Bahani, uh, Bahan, Bahani, I'm sure I butchered that pronunciation, Bahani, excuse me, 1-5 overall. I don't know if you'd ask him to play any higher than 6 in the lineup this year. Yeah, we still have a couple of freshmen to learn more about, Chris, but 
it's again, it's an eight-man roster. Like any eight-man roster, you're you're you feel thin off the top, and I still wonder might there be another addition coming. Yeah, it's an eight-man roster, and Valvanini's not playing, so yeah. it's it's a seven-man roster, and that's where I say, yeah, I think you know we'll talk about these two new guys, but I do think you know uh, Waitman comes in uh, with a lot of expectations, and I expect I expect he and uh, and Westrate to be filling that three-four spot in the lineup in some order, and then your aforementioned Carl Lee along with Sam Rebell, who. You know, Sam just hasn't hasn't found his way into the singles lineup really yet uh, for the Trojans. It'll be interesting to see if that happens. And then, you know, Vladimir Yakubenko, another freshman coming in uh, for the Trojans, I think is probably going to find his way uh, in the singles lineup. If nothing else, I think, you know, Lee Rebell and Yakubenko are going to uh, going to see a lot of rotations to figure out who really is that that bottom end of the lineup. So that that will be the thing that we need to watch for. I think both freshmen are going to be asked to play right away. And again, the more pedigreed, highly touted of the two is 22-year-old Oscar Waitman coming in from Great Britain. Waitman ranked as high as 122 in the junior rankings, but perhaps more notably 603 in the ATP singles rankings. He won a title in Monastir last season, which I believe was his career best season, where he goes 31-22 and 22 overall. For what it's worth, a lot of hard court success. No clay courts for him in that 2022 season, 29-18 and 18 overall. Now, it was limited action for him in 2023, seven and 16 overall. I do wonder if that was injury related. Certainly you imagine something impacted his decision to head to college. But yeah, like that you bring in someone who's been ranked top 700 in the ATP. You hope at a minimum you get a contributor somewhere in the singles lineup. And again, he'll be asked to play probably in the three through six right away. That USC's top two is pretty set. Is nice to know. Okay, we're not. He's not going to have that burden of right playing the number ones right away. The way, and I say this with respect, in Edward Winter over at Pepperdine, right? Like, yeah, he's a highly touted recruit, but we're going to throw him to the Sharks right away. What do you know about Waitman, Chris? What should USC fans expect? Yeah, well, I think the you know the first thing, and you you touched on it there. What people probably don't know is, and it was this was a little under the radar, even amongst the coaching community, if you will, because as you mentioned, he's 22 years old. He was he was in the same class coming out of you know the the Great Britain class uh, of that year, if you will, as Johannes Monday. He's actually uh, he's actually like two months older than Monday is. Uh, so he comes in as a so, junior, I believe. By the way, from an eligibility perspective, yeah. So it's not uh, it, it's not like you're getting a raw seventeen or eighteen year old coming over here. This guy's been around. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't know the full story on last year. I know he's obviously been in school. Uh, he's been enrolled in school uh, the, the full time or, or that would be an eligibility issue. Um, so, but I don't know why the, the limited play over the last year and obviously not as much success, but as you mentioned, he's been a, you know, a top 600 ATP guy. I, I, there's no way coach Macy's bringing him in without the expectation that he's going to contribute, you know, hopefully in that, you know, not to be a five, six guy, he's, he needs something more up in that three, four spot right behind Steph and and Peter. So that's, that's what they're looking for. And I think that's going to be kind of what we look out for is does he, can he earn that spot 
uh, up in the lineup there because that's what they need him to do for them to be successful. If he's battling at five, six, it's not going to be as successful a season as if he comes in and he is the three, four guy. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to look up the UTRs, world tennis numbers, whatever your preference is for where he is relative to the rest of the roster, except yeah, he's a 13, five. I got to pull it up. I know he's about a 13, four ish pretty or, good. or so. Yeah. Uh, I've got it right here. Yeah. So yeah, he's third UTR wise. So Steph 14, not one, Peter Mock 13, five, Oscar 13, four, Ludwig right there, 13, three, eight. So right behind him. Rebel 1329, Carl Lee 1316, and the other freshman, Yakubenko, at 1274. Well, that's the interesting one because you look for Yakubenko. This is a guy who was ranked as high as 52 in the junior rankings. Now, he's only played 17 pro matches in his career, 8 and 9 overall. Not a lot to read into there. A lot of clay results in Yakubenko's career. And here's the thing again this is where you maybe feel the absence of Wojtek Merrick more than anything else because had you had tech. Now, again, you really only need one of these freshmen to click, like with four returners, Tech, Mock, Destanich, Woj. You feel like, okay, one of the freshmen click, one of Lee Rubel click, we're in a pretty good spot because we have these other options sitting on the bench as well. This is where you don't, you know, to feel the loss of Merrick and you need three of four of Yakabenko, um, uh, Waitman, Lee, Andrew Bell to click, not two of four. You need three of four to click right away. That's where, again, I can understand the thinking why someone might have them as low as 13 this early in the season. Maybe you want to see the freshmen compete. How can they contribute right away? And knowing that before you make a formal assessment of this USC roster, because Chris, as I start to talk MVP on this team, I mean, look, Steph's been the guy when you have the guy on your roster. Typically, that guy is the most valuable point because you feel like, all right, we're up one and a half, nothing against everyone. And he might have to be this good for the Trojans to sustain their ranking, particularly early on as they try to sort through who goes where in the lineup. But for me, it's like, unequivocally, as I look at the Trojans, what's the key spot? It's got to be five and six, like maybe even six more than anything else because last year, Trojans went 14 and 11 at five. They went 18 and 3 at the six single spot. Let me say that again. 18 and 3 at six. That was one of their okay. Put that point on the board in our match calculus moving forward. That's just not going to be the case this year. And like there's going to be regression at that position. There would always be after an 18 and 3 position. They can't go like 14 and 11. They can't go like it's or that's got to be like the minimum, right? Like there's got to be some save, uh, some saving grace there. And I just think that last guy in the lineup, that six guy, it can't be like a uh, hands in the air. We don't know who six is. That six guy has to separate themselves and be like, no, no, no. This is our clear cut top six. Yeah, I think uh, you're, you're, you're right where I'm at. And, and I could have made the case, depending on how you want to look at it, I would say, well, you know, five, five could be the most critical because that's, you know, I'm pretty, I feel pretty confident about who those top four will be. I'm just saying that of the other three, whoever steps up to five, you know, someone gets bumped down to six, but five is going to be 
that's going to be probably the toughest spot in the lineup for them. I'll say it's probably the one that screams the most potential to have of their six positions, much like last year, probably the worst record, uh, you know, of the six positions. And so if they get something out of five, if they get a, you know, a good something out of five, that's huge. But to your point, if you're willing to sort of almost write off five, but knowing that six has got to be great, then that six spot is is ultra important. But yeah, they cannot afford to, to your point, they can't afford to go 14 and 11 at both five and six. Yeah. One of one of those two spots has got to click. So, uh, you know, so whether that whether that's, you know, the, the second of the two that get to play being at the six spot and faring better or somebody really just steps up and is solid at five. They've got to get some production out of one of those two spots. A hundred percent. I also just wonder, it's probably going to be three new doubles combinations. And for what it's worth, Rubel, Vallabeneni, uh, they end the year, uh, the fall 47 in the rankings for no overall, but you didn't have the Stonich. And obviously he's going to be playing doubles and there's just going to be some playing around early with the doubles point and, Again, playing around early with that three through six spots in the singles lineup. Some serious questions about the Trojans going into the season. And yet again, it's worth revisiting. And much as we talked about with Arizona, with that building block of Smith and Strom, it's just or whoever I'm blanking, who's going to play two? Uh, Smith or Friend or Hoyer all and Strom, whomever it is in that number two spot for Arizona. Obviously, there's some built-out depth there in terms of four as opposed to two, but Man, when your starting block is Destanich and Mock, like you're going to be up 2-0 on a lot of teams right away. And as always, let's talk through the Trojans' uh, schedule here this season. We heard Coach Macy say when he spoke to us earlier uh, that. And by the way, when I when I asked you, is someone going to pop on the Zoom? What I meant is, are we going to have audio? I'm going to need to work with so I can make a note for Westoff to clarify <laughs> everything. And the answer was yes. Don't worry, I made a note. But you look for this Texas, uh, this USC roster, like. We're going to get to know how good these guys are. Now, pre-national indoors, it's pretty light. They've got UC Irvine, UNLV. You look at them for the kickoff weekend. Trojans going to host San Diego, Texas Tech. And honestly, you know what's maybe the most fascinating round one matchup, Chris, we have at the national indoors? There are going to be some other good ones. I'm looking through all these rankings right away. How about USC versus SMU in that round one National yeah, that's that's fascinating matchup because North you know, Carolina, Illinois is also a really good. Uh, by the way, UNC, Wake Forest, Florida, Illinois is a region. Come yeah. on now, but anyways, USC, SMU. That's yeah, a I don't. Ex- I, I don't expect you know USC to get knocked off in that one force matchup by any stretch of the imagination. But it is very interesting given. The signing of Trevor Spida at SMU leading us to what I would assume is I would I'm you know I, I don't know may, maybe Neff is still going to play one there but I would assume Spida comes in at one so we get a we get a Spida Steph matchup Steph having just played Zach Spida twice uh, here recently in the pro circuit splitting two matches with him uh, and then you know and then a Neff mock match at two. But the things go downhill a little quicker on the SMU side than they do on the USC side. But still, I mean, if somehow SMU gets those top matches to go their way, all of a sudden it's a ball game. Uh, but SMU yeah, that's also a, has some real. Ex- sorry, go ahead. 
That's it's a very very interesting you know, and they bring over Hadijian from Pepperdine, uh, Salagi from Florida uh, some, State, Salagi from Florida State. Yeah, still have Liam Crawl. Yep. Yeah, it's a it's oh I mean yeah it's a typical Grant Chen Tony Bresky twenty man lineup. I mean <laughs> there's a it's a big roster, but yeah they've got they've got a lot of good players there. I just think you know the even with the younger new guys if you will on the USC roster they're just a little better deeper. So, so yes, I mean, he's going to have to pull something off, but you know, in most of our one, four matchups, they're jokes. It's absolute, you know, you roll out and, you know, Ohio state play and I'm not even looking at it, but whoever they're playing, they're not going to get challenged in a one, four matchup at home. Right. Uh, USC might get a little bit of a challenge here or there on the courts with SMU. I think that is a fascinating, definitely one of the better one, four matchups, if you will. So I, uh, I'll definitely be looking forward to that. But in the end, I don't see a ton of threat to USC making it out uh, of there, which will give them some valuable experience getting to indoors should they do so. No, I think it's a real litmus test. If they go through that match easily, then it's like, whoa, okay. If you're going to beat a comfortable a team that's going to be in the NCAA tournament in SMU, if you're going to beat them comfortably, yeah, you are 100% in that top 10 discussion. If it's a 4-2, 4-3 match, a late three-setter out of five or six, we get to see a freshman or a relative newcomer to the lineup pushed right away. Dare I say, might that foreshadow some tight moments for, again, an inexperienced, relatively inexperienced Trojan team this season. I think that's a great litmus test. And then again, at Oklahoma State, Michigan's coming to town. Pepperdine's coming to town. They've got TCU, Texas on the roster as well. And then the big thing, Stanford, Arizona, both playing in Los Angeles this year in those regular season Pac-12 battles, Chris. It's a good schedule. Again, we're going to get to see this team tested. Should they get to the national indoors on top of everything? They'll get three more matches against top 16, at least competition as well. Let's get into it. Ceiling, floor. When you look at these USC Trojans, what are you seeing, Chris, as you project towards 2024? I mean, I think I think the ceiling is much like the other teams we've talked about. Is that five six range? Uh, I, I think it's going to be is going to be tough to get into those. You know, those top four are just going to be really really tough to get to. Um, the floor here is an interesting one because give it with a healthy lineup. I'd say it's just like the rest of the teams we've talked about. I don't see them venturing, you know, much lower than healthy, you know, somewhere, you know, 16s, the, you know, the top 16s, the floor. It gets really interesting real quick if there are any issues for them because they're a seven man roster. You know, I'll say seven. They're eight, showing eight right now, but a seven man roster that, uh, for what I would consider vying for playing time. And, you know, yes, they do have one spare, but somebody goes down and all of a sudden everybody has to be clicking. Uh, And that could, yeah, that could put you, you know, God forbid in, you know, where you're looking at a 20-ish type type number. But uh, with with everybody being healthy and playing, uh, I fully expect them to be uh, in that top 10 and with a ceiling probably as high as that five, six range. It's fascinating. Again, we've had this conversation before. Chris, pretty certain all five Power Five conference champions going to get a top eight seed, and I never doubt his math when it comes to those sorts of things. 
USC gets the home matches. Again, they get Stanford at home. And uh, looking at the Pac-12 first, I think I do like the best version of Destanich and Mock better than whomever the one-two is, Smith and whomever for Arizona. Even better than particularly a fairyless Stanford team. It's, it's fairy and Bosforetti. That's a different conversation. We'll have that conversation as we approach the Stanford talk. But again, I think I like Arizona better at three and four. I like Stanford better at five and six. And so I think those are going to be real thrilling matches. And again, you get TCU, Texas on the schedule. You have good match against Michigan as well. They probably still, though, need to run the Pac-12 table win at least one match, certainly, at the national indoors to solidify that top eight seed, and that's going to be really tricky to do. And certainly, again, yes, road teams in the round of 16 have a shot, but that road match is a really tricky one. If to make the final site, it really, really helps. Here's a hot take, but it really, really helps to host that round of 16 match. They do have home and home with Stanford this year, so... Love that. That's and, a that's a good deal for them. I, yeah. They also, I think, have home and homes with UCLA and somebody, there were three of the, and ah, the other one escapes me. There are three PAC 12 teams that they've got uh, home and homes with. So UCLA, Stanford, Cal, I think is the other one, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the, that Stanford one will really help. So if, you know, if Cal Stanford and UCLA are indeed the three, if one of them doesn't work out, then uh, yeah, they but they definitely need a win. That Stanford team will be, you know, decently ranked, but worth very valuable points this year. So got to get at least one there. If you get two, boy, now you're talking for sure top eight caliber. Uh, and, see, and and but the thing is, again, like I, the bet for the ceiling, and I do think the ceiling is quarterfinals because I just think there's more depth, more experience. They're just more proven as you look at the semifinals. I think that's the ceiling for this team. Get to the final site, which, by the way, they haven't been to the final site since it was that 16 format in Orlando. So a couple years now that they've missed out consecutively. <sighs> I think for them to get to the final site, they really have to host that round of 16 match because, again, yeah, and smart on Coach Macy scheduling Texas TCU in March after these freshmen have had a couple of months to get acclimated, give themselves a better shot in those matches. I just think this team is asking a lot from young and relatively inexperienced players, even if they're upperclassmen in the bottom half of the lineup. And I still think, again, in a normal pre-COVID season, this USC roster is unequivocally a top 10 roster, bringing back the top two that they do. We still are in that final year of COVID eligibility where you just need to have that extra bit of experience, that extra bit of depth to get to that final site and expect success Tied for eighth. Like, again, I, I have no problems with the Trojans in this mix, particularly now with the Stonich back, because no one believes in the power of the guy more than me. I created a whole concept around it, Chris. I think the ceiling's quarters. I think floor is... Ugh. Man, if they take some early lumps... Again, I want to see the SMU match before I assess the floor. This t- I will be shocked, though. Shocked if this team isn't top 16. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's no... No way without injuries or something taking some of that lineup out that they're not a top 16 team. Uh, yeah, and I'm looking for, I, to be honest, I know one of the things you, that that is on our agenda, right, is the is that the schedule opportunities, if you will. To me, you mentioned it. It's that March stretch. March 10th to 22nd on their schedule 
four matches in a row, I think to me are the, that's a key point in their schedule. They go at Stanford, then home against TCU, Texas, Arizona. Mm-hmm. That stretch of four matches right there is going to tell us a lot about where that team's going to end up. Yeah. And again, like, I'm excited. I really enjoy some of the uncertainty surrounding some of these teams this year because it's just been a while since we've had this degree of uncertainty uh, after the era we have experienced. But with that said, Chris, that's all of my thoughts on number eight, tied for eighth, USC. You know what? Now that we know the roster, you know I know the truth. We said this in our preview podcast. We were waiting for the Trojans to reveal, is Destanich coming back or not? Because if he wasn't, we were going to maybe make a late pivot, include a different team in our top 10 preview instead. Let's do it right now. You and I are going to be the arbiters. I'll have Westoff go change the numbers. I'm going to go. <laughs> Wait, everybody should know before we even get started. We didn't have this dilemma in the old days. It's actually kind of funny in retrospect. We had ties in the old days, yeah. but we had a tie-breaking system. What was it, Graskin? Probably me and you just being no, like, it, what it was Westoff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Westoff would just, Lord, you, who knows what the rhyme or reason was. Uh, right. I'm not going to divulge what, what may have made one team come out over another. Uh, but yeah, that that was the tie break before we did. We purposely didn't allow the ties. I think Coach Macy thinks we should go back there, and, and we should have made Westoff just pick. Do we go... We're going to do this live. All right. Oh, man. Which is just going to get me in trouble. Um, They've won it five, four times in a row, Chris. That's a huge deal. Um, Should we just do it in the order we recorded them? Columbia 10, uh, Columbia 10, Arizona 9, USC 8? That's the order I had them in. All right. Then that's the order we're going to go. USC, your preseason number eight team. No protest. Did you hear a single word of protest on this end? No, you did not. They are your preseason number eight. Send it to people, whomever you need to send it to accordingly. But, folks, that'll do it for this edition of the preseason, the deciding point. Of course, I thank you, as always, to you, Chris Halliors, for taking the time to join me. You will be back on Thursday where we will break down our number six team. By the way, that's the halfway hump, Chris. We're almost halfway through our preseason top ten, which means we are almost to the start of the 2024 college tennis season. And, man, do we have a lot of fun announcements on the horizon in terms of what our content schedule, broadcast schedule is going to look like. Of course, we will talk about those things as we approach the start date. I would want to say the reason I don't ask Westoff to break ties anymore, Chris, is because he's been f***ing busy. Hell of an editing job day in, day out, getting prepared for the start of the college tennis season. A thank you to him for all he does, as always. Uh, a thank you to you, of course, as well, for joining me. Any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? No, I'm just, I'm with you. I, I guess we need to make some calls and get these other coaches to send their sound bites in. Yeah, that was pretty good. Again, <laughs> he's the MVP of the episode, no doubt. Well, then, with that said, for the fantastic USC men's tennis head coach, Brett Macy, who joined us for a solid two minutes, for our dear friend, Chris Halliors, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.